locations. Thrilled to have you here and excited about what the Lord's doing uh, in us, through us, as we continue our More Than Conquerors series. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Romans chapter 8. Uh, we are at verse 31. We've got this week and next week, and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. Here we go. What then shall we say in response to this? In response to what? Well, in response to what we've been talking about, since week one, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All of our sin is nailed to the cross, and all of his righteousness has been transferred to our account. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We have been adopted by the Heavenly Father, full rights, full privileges, co-heirs, with Christ, our present sufferings not worth comparing to the future glory that awaits us. The Holy Spirit Himself is interceding for us, and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. Come on. Amen. In response to what? In the response to all of that, it gets even better. Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us some things? No, all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm not going to lie. This is tough to preach. I, I think the better it is, the, the more uh, glorious the truth, the harder it is to preach because it's hard for us to comprehend, but let me give it a shot. Uh, this week, uh, last weekend, uh, Laura dropped two of our kids off at camp, and then I dropped one of our kids off at the airport to go hang out with grandpa and grandma, and the next day, the two of us flew to Mackinac Island uh, to celebrate an anniversary. I don't think we fully knew what awaited us. It's a magical place. Uh, no cars, and so all you hear is the clip-clop of horses and carriages and bikes everywhere and fudge, 17 fudge shops on the island. You can say amen. Uh, it, it was um, a wonderful trip, and it feels like the place is frozen in time. We stayed at the Grand Hotel, which is uh, celebrating its 125th anniversary, uh, when it was built largest porch in the world, and we got to witness one of those spectacular Midwest storms the first night with lightning and thunder. It was like God was putting on a display. Thoroughly enjoyed it. One morning, uh, we took a little history 
lecture. I love hearing the backstory behind places like this. And uh, when they built it, it actually wasn't profitable. Oh, I think it was uh, 63 years until this place turned to profit, believe it or not. Early on, they, they knew that it couldn't just be a hotel. They needed to create an experience, create a memory. And so they hired someone to say, how are we going to do that? Yeah, the Grand Hotel, it's grand, amazing porch, you know, beautiful weather. Like, what is it that we can do to create an experience? And so this consultant uh, began to study the culture at the time, this kind of Victorian era, and, and began to visit other resorts and came back with one suggestion. So here's how we're going to do it. Live music. All the time. Everywhere. So literally every event, they they used to play baseball on the lawn and there would be an orchestra playing. Um, They told us about how they used to grease a pole and and, uh, pin a little $10 bill at the end, which 100 years ago, that's a pretty nice catch. And uh, they would, people would climb out over the lake and try to get it when they would fall in. There would be a symbolist, you know, clashing those symbols together. Music all the time. Um, And and even uh, today at dinner, there was a live jazz band. For afternoon tea, there was a harpist. And in the evening, they had a band that was playing music that you could dance to. And just the whole thing, it was like, it was just about creating this mood music, this background to the entire experience. Now, why, why would I take the time to tell you that? Well, because it was awesome for one. But if, if there was a verse of scripture that I would say, oh man, if you could just play this all the time in the background. If, if you could say, I, I need some mood music. What, what needs to be in the background that I need to be hearing all the time? I don't know that it's not Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, I don't care where you put the emphasis on what syllable. Listen, it doesn't matter. This is a truth that you've got to put on repeat. Do you have any songs on your iPod that you repeat all the time? Uh, I'm going to share something with you. I don't think I've ever shared this uh, with you. A handful of people know it, but when, when I write, you know I take my shoes off. But what you might not know is that there's one song that I'll put on repeat when I need to get in the zone. I've got to hit a deadline. I've got to press through and finish a chapter. And uh, it's a song, believe it or not, from the Truman Show, Raising the Sail. Now, it's the weirdest thing in the world, but what I do is I just kind of get my, my earphones in and I, and I play that song and it just plays over and over again. There are times where I've probably listened to it 200 times in one setting. It's the weirdest thing. There's something about that mood music that helps me concentrate and write. Now, this shouldn't be a big mystery to us. You've got the Mozart effect, right? But before that, it was really the David effect who would play the harp uh, so that Saul would kind of regain his right mind. And it was even tradition in the Old Testament for uh, music to be played uh, on the harp or the lyre in a way that would help a prophet prophesy. We get this whole idea of background music. The funny thing is if you watch half of the movies that you love, if we, listen, 
I, I love the Rocky movie, and I'm thinking about it because Parker was up in Philly last weekend and, and ran up to the top of the steps, and there was actually a Sylvester Stallone lookalike up there, and it was kind of a cool deal. But you know what? If we watch Rocky without Eye of the Tiger... It wouldn't be the same, would it? You, you need that mood music. What, what I'm trying to say is you, you need to hit repeat on Romans 8.31. And you need to hear it over and over and over again. Because you can't just believe it up here. You can't just believe it in here. You got to get it down here. It's got to get into your gut. And we're going to talk about how to do that. If God is for us, who can be against us? I think it's one of the most important questions in scripture. Now, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is assumed. God is for you. Well, how do we know that? Well, he proved it at the cross of Christ. He sent his son to die for us. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. Even when we were against him, he was for us. I think sometimes we feel like, well, you know, but only in certain situations, like God will be good to me if I'm good. No, listen, God's goodness is not based upon how good or bad you are. God is good because God is good. It's just who he is. It's his nature. And God is for you. Another way of saying is that God can't be against you. It's not possible. God is only good, always good. He is good all the time, and he is good in every way imaginable. See, I think what you need to understand this weekend is that God's for you. I don't know how many different ways I can say it, but I'm going to try some different ways until it gets from here to here and down into here. This will change your life if you get this, if you understand, if you know that you know that God is for you. Listen, Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk up rightly before him. Uh, I love Ephesians 2, 10, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared for us in advance. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Now, you know, I've said it before, the word follow isn't strong enough. It's a hunting term. God is going to hunt you down. Why? So that he can bless you. He wants to show you that he is for you. Now, I know the objection, conscious, subconscious, is this, but I don't deserve it. Exactly. You never have, and you never will. His goodness is not because you do something good. It's just so hard for us to understand the nature of God outside a cause and effect relationship. But we need to understand the heart of God who is for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try some different ways this weekend to come at this because it's so hard to know how to communicate this. But why don't we try a picture? Is that okay? Because a picture is worth a thousand words. And I started watching some of the baptism videos from the baptism a couple of weeks ago. As, as, uh, as uh, folks who got baptized share their testimony. And I'm just loving these. And I, when I saw it, I was like, we can't not share one of these this weekend. Are you kidding? And so let me go ahead and show you one of these uh, testimonies. I'm going to make a little observation. Here we go.
Well, I'm getting baptized because about two years ago, I started a process thinking about it, and I would see the films at NCC of other people getting baptized, and it got me thinking about this. And I wanted to pursue it seriously, and um, I want to make this commitment as an adult. My parents made it for me when I was an infant, and I feel like it's a gift I've been given, and I want to accept it as an adult. I realize as I am getting older that I've been blessed in so many ways by Jesus. I don't know that I always gave him the credit he deserved. I have also grown through adversity. I've had quite a bit of adversity the last few years, and Jesus has made such a difference by being there for me and helping me along the way. I really want to love Jesus and love other people in the best way we possibly can and really letting Jesus lead me and let him take the control and I think with that will come a lot of freedom. He is forgiving and he loves me for who I am and he is always there for me. Yeah, don't you love it? Oh, man, I love Mickey just doing the, the clenched fist, arm raised, more than conquerors, right? I, I love that, that each of the testimonies are just so amazing. But, but I wanted to show you that and just share kind of my pastoral heart that whenever anybody gets bath, baptized, I, I have a simple prayer for them, okay? And it's this. That they would experience what Jesus experienced when he was baptized. Do you remember what happened? It, it says that, uh, that the kind of heavens parted and he heard a voice. And it was the father saying, this is my son, uh, my beloved son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. My prayer is always that as a daughter and a son of God, that when someone's baptized, that they would just kind of sense how pleasing it is to their heavenly father, that they might even get a glimpse of God just kind of smiling so proudly down upon uh, his son or daughter. See, I think what we've got to realize when Jesus was baptized, he hadn't really even done anything. Can I even say that? No miracles, no parables that we know. I mean, he made a probably a few really nice pieces of furniture. <laughs> but it's at this moment that the father says, this is my son. It's just this fatherly pride. You can feel it, can't you? This is my beloved son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. See, my prayer is that you are a child of God and God is well pleased with you. You know, I think that we have a hard time with this because 
we tend to project upon God the way that we feel about other people. And it's because we fall short that we have a hard time realizing that God loves us in an unconditional sort of way. And that's tough to comprehend. Um, It's tough to comprehend because we've never met anybody this good or this gracious. And because we haven't experienced it on a human plane, it's hard for us to imagine how much the Heavenly Father loves us. I think here's the issue. And I want you to understand this. God is for you. And I think that was settled at Calvary. I think the big question this weekend is, are you for God? He's for you. I know that. The question is, are you for him? I remember hearing this story. uh, Abraham Lincoln said it during the Civil War. Now it's tough to substantiate. I always try to be real careful um, to uh, check my sources. And this one's tricky. It's tough to, with, with absolute certainty, substantiate exactly when or whether Lincoln said this, but it's in keeping with his character. And it was actually recorded uh, uh, January 19, 1881 in the Connecticut Temperance Union newsletter. This little quip, and I love this, um, there was a convention in D.C., and the president showed up, and uh, the members uh, called upon the president, said, Mr. President, we trust during this time of trial, referencing uh, the Civil War, in which this nation is engaged, that God is on our side and will give us victory. To which uh, Lincoln said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My great concern is to be on God's side. I I think there's something to this. This is a two-sided deal. God is for you. The question is, are you for God? Now, let me say this. I believe that one of the great reasons why we have a difficult time really believing that God is 100% for us, maybe 97%, 99%, but the reason why it's so tough for us to believe that God is 100% for us is because we aren't 100% for God. And then we project our shortcomings upon him. I want to tell you, God is 100% for you in every way, all the time. But it's hard because we fall short. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, our DVR is running out of room because the Olympics are going on. While we were away and the kids were at camp, you know, like tape everything. And so we have hours and hours of Olympics uh, that we've been working our way through. And, you know, it's interesting to watch the team sports and the individual events at the Olympics. In team competition, it's all for one and one for all. Like the swim relays are awesome. And then in gymnastics, it's kind of like, man, we all need to hit this routine. And uh, everybody's for everybody. Uh, You've got Lochte and Phelps cheering each other on. um, But then the individual events get interesting. Because you are on the same team representing the same country. But there are some mixed emotions, aren't there? Uh, I kind of wonder if Lochte really wants Phelps to win the races that he's not in. 
And I kind of wonder if else wants Lochte to win the race. He's not in. There, there's kind of this like, I'm for you, but you wonder if it's 100%. I mean, I think the, the ultimate example of this was uh, Jordan Weber, the, who won the, the world championship the year before, but didn't qualify for the individual all around. Now, how, how many saw that, the, that competition, the team gymnastic competition? And she didn't qualify. And there's this moment where you literally see her dream die. When the score is posted and she just breaks down and they, my eyes started sweating because you just feel for her. I mean, four years of preparation for this and, and her dream dies and it's Allie and Gabby who end up qualifying for the individual all around and you could Feel the mixed emotion in her tears. And so a few nights later, there is Jordan in the stands watching her two teammates. Now, my question is, and and I don't know, maybe I'm not even allowed to go here, but I'm going to. Was Jordan for them? You know, I really don't know the answer to that. But I've been in situations where because I wasn't able to accomplish something, that honestly there was a part of me that didn't want someone else to accomplish it because I felt like it would somehow diminish me. And it's because of my insecurity and immaturity that I had a hard time really rejoicing in someone else. I want to tell you that uh, I think Romans twelve fifteen is one of the hardest verses in the Bible. Not the first half. Second half. Remember what it says? Mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I I think it's easier for us to mourn with those who mourn than it is for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. But I think it's one of the truest tests. Is there any pride in my heart? Is there any jealousy in my heart? Am I able to 100% be for another person? Now listen, I think with your kids, you got an unfair advantage because you just, you know, you're kind of for them that like even if you're playing a game and you lose, it's still your kids. They won and they won because you gave them your DNA. So you kind of won, you know, you're responsible for it. What I'm talking about are, are these real situations. Let, let me bring it down to brass tacks. You know, I, I, I think I'm a little bit less insecure than I was 10 or 12 years ago. I'm still working on it. I'm a work in progress. But I remember we, we'd invite some guest preachers in and, and uh, they'd get up to speak. And I want them to do good, but not too good. <laughs> Why? Because in my insecurity, I was kind of comparing myself to them. And if they did really good, it might make me look not as good. I I just think it's the hardest thing in the world to 100% rejoice with those who rejoice. When God blesses someone beyond what he's blessed you, it seems, in terms of, you know, whether it's a promotion at work or maybe it's some of the resources that God has given them. Maybe it's just they're good looking. I don't know, but when God has blessed someone beyond kind of the level that you perceive that you are blessed, are you able to absolutely rejoice with them? So I think this is one of the most ancient forms of sin. And it goes back to Cain and Abel. Abel brought a better sacrifice. And you know what? Instead of Cain saying, well, Lesson learned. He brought his choice animals. Maybe I ought to bring my best crops. 
Instead of learning that lesson, um, you know what? Cain did what, what I think is their part of us, kind of this sin instinct within us. You know what? I'm just going to kill anything that makes me feel like I'm not the best. And he can't rejoice with the way that God is blessing and favoring Abel. And so he makes the mistake of doing the exact opposite. Now, what does any of this have to do with Romans 8.31? Well, the answer is everything. Because if you're unable to have genuine feelings of just being for someone in the truest, holiest, purest sense then you will have a tough time comprehending how God is for you in the truest, holiest, purest sense. I think what I'm trying to say is if you're critical towards other people, then your default setting probably, my hunch, is that God is very critical of you. Why? Because we project. Why? Because we make God in our Image And what I'm saying is if you're going to get Romans 8.31, you've got to understand that this is one of those verses that falls into the other category. It's hard to understand that even if, if I'm against God, how could God be for me? But that's just because that's the character and nature of God. Because we're manipulating, we think God is manipulating. Or because we're reactionary, we think God is reactionary. And he is none of those things. God is pure goodness. Always good, only good. Take another angle. Because I think right now some of you might be comprehending this in a logical way. Uh, Okay. Like, I, I, I get it that, that that's the nature of God, um, and I'm kind of getting it here, but then what, what about down here? And so, I'm going to try something here. Um, it's a little bit of a risk. I don't want to lose you. Are, are you willing to stick with me for a couple of minutes? I, I think if you will, it will be rewarded because God might reveal something that might help us because at the end of the day, we've got to know that we know that God is for us. Now, it's God who created us in, in a very interesting way. Um, and, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But let me say this. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We have a tendency to approach Scripture and want to dissect it instead of allowing Scripture to dissect us. We want to get through it instead of letting it get through us. This says that the very nature of the word of God is to permeate every fiber of our being. I mean, dividing soul and spirit. Like, I don't even know where that happens in here. But what we're talking about is the word of God permeating, seeping into the cracks and crevices of the human mind and the human heart. When it says... um, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. I think that word dwell means just let it get everywhere. Just let it seep into your being until it becomes part of the fabric of how you think and how you act and how you make decisions. All right. Now, God has created us in a way that there are really kind of two parts to the mind. 
You have your conscious mind that, that has this level of awareness of what's happening. But then there's also the subconscious mind or maybe the subliminal, uh, if you will. Subliminal just means below the threshold. It applies to uh, those thoughts that we aren't consciously aware of. It's almost like a program on your computer when it's kind of your, your main screen, but there are all kinds of different operations happening and you have all these different windows that are opening and software that is functioning, but you aren't really using it at the time. The truth is most of that hard drive is being used for those things that you aren't even seeing or doing currently. In much the same way, uh, we have this conscious mind and the subconscious mind, and for whatever reason, God created us that way. Now, I think what's kind of interesting is that the sensory system of the brain sends us about 11 million bits of information every second. But the actual amount of information we can consciously process, and this is kind of an estimation, but here's kind of the top estimate by neuroscientists, is that it would be about 50 bits per second. Okay, so 11 million bits per second coming at us and about 50 bits uh, of information that we can consciously process. That means we're able to consciously process about one half of one thousandth of one percent of incoming data. So what happens to all that other data? Does it just disappear? Well, no. It becomes part of this kind of subliminal. It's why we get hunches. hunches. It's where instinct comes from. It's the fact that God, in, in his marvelous wisdom, said, you can't be consciously thinking about all this stuff all the time. Can you imagine right now? Wait, I got to focus. I'm sorry, because I need to focus on my digesting. I'm sorry, I'm working on my respiratory right now. I'm, right now, I'm consciously making some decisions. Kind of, no, there's this autonomic system. And uh, in the same way, there's a part of the brain uh, that just functions the way it functions. Now, uh, neuroscientists estimate that 95% of mental activity is subconscious. It's the subconscious mind processing things that are beyond or below our awareness. Okay, so where, where are you going with this? Well, let me dig a little deeper. Uh, studies, and when I say studies, the jury is always out on studies. But uh, a number of studies have been done in recent years, and with MRI, you know, magnetic resonance, it helps us kind of see what's happening in the brain. Uh, let me throw a few things at you. Font type. Might not seem that significant, but a difficult to read font will cause you to think that a recipe, for example, is more difficult to make. It's called the fluency effect. If the form of information is difficult to assimilate, it affects our judgment about the substance of that information. The color of the Detergent bottle will subconsciously affect how you rate its cleaning ability. Oh, no, no, I would never do that. Yes, you would. And not only that, the size and shape of the bottle would affect your opinion as well as the, the smell or scent of that detergent. None of it has anything to do with how well it cleans, but subliminally, it affects the brain. Now, mood music. Supermarket study found that on days when French music was playing, 77% of the wine purchases were French in this particular grocery store. On days when German music was playing, 73% of the wine purchase 
was German. Subconsciously, we are processing these things and not even aware of it. One study of the stock market hypothesizes that, you know, sunny days and cloudy days really are what, gonna, are what it, in the long haul are going to determine how the market performs. Now, I'm not sure I want my stockbroker, you know, making his decisions based on sunny or cloudy, but it affects It's unbelievable how the subliminal mind is affected by all of these things. Here's what I'm trying to say. Some of us right now with our conscious mind, kind of this 5%, like we get what I'm talking about. God is for us. But there's this 95% that's happening beneath the surface that we have some doubts We haven't really settled this kind of down here. Well, what about some of these experiences that have happened in my past that kind of make me question it? And and so subconsciously, we haven't gotten there. All I know is this. When it says, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think it means all of your mind. It means your prefrontal, uh, ventral, medial, prefrontal cortex. It means your amygdala. It means the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. What does that have to do with Romans 8.31? I'm just saying that you've got to get this into your subconscious. How do I do that? Well, probably memorizing it and meditating on it would be a good start. Here's what else I think. Uh, It's the spirit of God that speaks deep things to our spirit. What we need is revelation from God. We need the Holy Spirit to take these deep truths of scripture and reveal them to us and implant them into our spirits. If God is for us, who can be against us? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let's end with this. I kind of set up all of the things that we've already read so far. And then it's almost like Paul, the writer of Romans. Now watch this. I got one more curveball I'm going to throw at you. Not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for you, not only is there no condemnation, not only do all things work together for good. Watch this one. Christ Jesus himself, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Are you kidding me? Okay, let me ask you this. If you could have anybody plead your case, who do you want? Well, you know what? I I think it'd be a really tough choice between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But we got both. We have both of them interceding for us. God is for you in every way imaginable. And you know what? Here's what's amazing to me. You know, sometimes someone has a faith in God that's just incredible to me, kind of blows me away. And I'll, I'll be like, wow, their faith in God just inspires me. But, but, I I don't care who that person is. You take the person who maybe has the most faith in God. To me, that doesn't even light a candle compared to the fact that there is a God who has faith in us. Oh, but but that sounds so humanistic and so self-centered. No, no, no. You know what I'm talking about. You you see the big, it's all about God's glory, his purpose. It's not about us at all. But what I am saying is that there's a God who isn't just for you in some static sense that like, go, go. You can do it, you know, kind of in the stands. No, there is a God who is pleading our case, who is interceding for us, who is for us in every way imaginable and is actively involved.
I don't think you can read the Gospels and not see this. That here's a prostitute that kind of everybody has given up on. Kind of like, man, like let's just ignore this lady. And, and, um, and Jesus celebrates her and says that what you have done for me, washing my feet, it'll be told everywhere. And then you have this tax collector who's kind of disenfranchised from society. And, and Jesus said, why don't you come follow me? Why don't you hang out with me? And, and then you've got Peter who fails Jesus, denies him three times. And, and Jesus says, you might have lost faith in your but I haven't lost faith in you. I'm still going to build my church. I'm going to do it through you. See, it's God's faith in us, even when we have failed, even when we are against him, it's God's ability to believe in us and have faith in us as free will creatures that he's created that is mind-boggling to me. I, I don't even get it, but let me put it in these terms. This weekend, it's a joy to have my mom and dad here, and uh, they drove up from Florida, and I think if there's one gift that my parents gave me growing up, it was just kind of this, this faith in me that sort of became the background music of my life. I, I think um, sometimes it actually annoyed me because it was unrealistic. I mean, listen. That was kind of in the heyday in, in Chicago where we were growing up and where we lived. That you know Michael Jordan um, dominated the, the basketball world, and, and I, I don't even know. I've said this you know maybe a time or two, but if I was playing Michael Jordan in in one on one, my, my mom would put all of her money on me. <laughs> I know she would, and she would believe it. In fact, she would say Michael Jordan didn't even have a chance because it's my son. Um, there was almost like moments where like, mom, you were driving me crazy, get a grip on reality. But, but it really became kind of the background music of my, of my life. And, you know, I sort of want to do the same thing for, for my kids that listen, God is for you. And as an earthly father, I just want you to know that I'm a fan into flame, the gifts of God that, that are within you. I believe in you. I'm in your corner. I'm for you. I'm behind you. You can do this. I think watching the Olympics has been fun um, to reminisce. Uh, Carrie Strug, come on. You remember that vault when she hurt her ankle? And uh, I just saw this in an in a, uh, interview. Bella Caroli um, was interviewed about that and, and what he said to her. And uh, I didn't know this, but he, he basically said to Carrie, you can do this. And because he believed in her... In that moment, you know, then we have the picture of her being carried off, you know, with that, with that hurt ankle winning gold. And, uh, but, but it's this idea, you can do this. And if you listen to the gymnastics, um, what's been interesting to me is I keep hearing these very high-pitched voices that come from very small girls. <laughs> um, you got this. You can do this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching them on the balance beam. To me, which is like the most impossible thing ever. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, like, don't even be saying anything when they're flipping on that thing. <laughs> like, would you please be quiet? Let them concentrate. But like through the whole routine, I'm hearing this. Like, you got this. You can do this. You can do it. You know, trust your training. Like, you got it. And, and I just think that. There are moments where we get little glimpses of the heart of God and who he is. 
I think sometimes it's in those moments that we begin to understand our Heavenly Father's heart. You can do this. You got this. Why? Because I am in you. If God is for who can be against us? Listen, we are more than conquerors because of what Christ has accomplished for us, because of what he's doing in us. They are interceding for us. You got this. You can do this. You can do this. And you know what? You can't just believe it up here. You got to believe it in here. And I want to pray that God would do just that. Father, we come before you tonight. Pray that you would speak into each one of our hearts and lives. Lord, I don't know where each person is with you. But God, I pray that if there's anybody at any of our locations that has not made a decision, they have not chosen you. I know that you have chosen them, but they have not chosen you. God, I know that you are on their side, but they, they aren't sure if they're on your side. I pray that in this moment, right here, right now, that they would put their full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus and say, I'm gonna follow Christ. God, right now, we celebrate with those who are making that decision because the transformation work in their heart has begun right now, and there is rejoicing in heaven, and we say, welcome to the family. And God, for those of us that maybe believe it up here, but it's not in here and it's certainly not down here. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring revelation, that you would bring confirmation, that we would know that we know that God is for us. I pray put a smile on our face. I, I pray that it would put a little skip in our step. God, I pray that it would give us that holy confidence that we need. A confidence that's based in who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.